Good morning. If I had a title for this morning's reflection, it would be Getting Beyond the Miracle. In recent weeks, we have been hearing and thinking about passages in the Gospel of Mark which precede and then surround the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 and its sequel, Jesus Walking on Water. Mark developed the symbolism of bread to represent the gospel with two stories about feeding miracles, 5,000 and 4,000. He did so to celebrate that Jesus was bringing the good news of God both to the Israelites and to the Gentiles. The disciples, of course, were slow to recognize the symbolism. This week, the framers of the lectionary take us away from Mark switch our focus to the Gospel of John. Both Mark and John link the two events, the miraculous feeding and Jesus walking on the water. These are two of the most significant stories of our Judeo-Christian heritage, so we need to tread carefully as we think or preach about what they mean or what they imply. For those of us who are aware of and obviously heartbroken by the horrors of global poverty by dictators and disasters. We should remember that for the starving and suffering, these images of the miraculous multiplication of food or God parting seas as a means of deliverance can be heard as fairy tales. If these things happen then, they are not happening now. People are starving. The climate is raging. For people of faith, whether we believe these things nevertheless happened, depends on two things, our philosophical and our Christological presuppositions. As we consider their merit, we must ask ourselves if the events these evangelists recorded were purely symbolic or real or perhaps both. There is no indication that the gospel writers themselves thought that these events did not occur, but pragmatically and sensibly, perhaps. Many imagine that the gospel writers were not really reporting a miracle, but for eyes that can see and minds that can think, the multiplications of the, lo of the loaves was a large shared lunch. We will return to that in due course, but our religious integrity suffers if we try to explain away these texts too quickly however practical that may seem, seem for people striving to be faithful, to believe and to live and to preach the good news of the gospel to one another, to the suffering, to the lonely, and to the outcast. The gospel writers used these stories in ways which went far beyond a focus on the miracles themselves. It's possible that in the beginning, the stories may not have had a miraculous focus at all. We may never know at what point the symbolism entered the stories or to what extent that symbolism may have created the stories. In Mark's version of the feeding of the 5,000, there's a military illusion, a crowd organized like Israel's army in the desert, arranged in battalions of 100s and 50s, with Jesus portrayed as the Davidic shepherd king. We wonder, was that symbolism intentional on Jesus' part, Mark's? 
In John, after the people are fed and are satisfied, the crowd wants to take Jesus by force and make him king. The miracle motif may have entered the story secondarily, the evangelists recalling the symbolism of God providing manna in the wilderness. John's account heightens the miraculous character of the story by emphasizing Jesus as both multiplying and distributing the bread and the fish, and at the same time showing little sympathy for the crowds, those who have followed him because of the miracles. According to John, they reached the wrong conclusion by trying to make Jesus their king. And Jesus himself seems to have found the popular appetite for miracles to be exasperating, at times fleeing from the crowds looking for a miracle worker. And as we heard from Mark's gospel very recently, sometimes resolutely refusing to perform miracles simply for the purpose of demonstrating his ability to perform them. Like the crowds, what we sometimes fail to recognize is that the miracles themselves were Jesus' way of pointing to something more. With faith, you can and will do greater things than this, Jesus said. There is the potential to get and to go beyond the miracles themselves. The rest of chapter 6 in John's Gospel will leaven the bread image so that the real meaning of the miracle points us to Jesus' way of life being the true bread for the world, the bread of life for all. John will tell us that Jesus doesn't offer us lunch, but rather the true bread, broken and shared in the bread and wine of a Eucharist intended to be shared for the entire world. I am the bread of life, Jesus will say. Using images of daily necessity, like bread, water, light, and life, all of these being images taken from the Torah. One gift of John's Gospel is that it consistently takes stories from the tradition and molds them so that they now make statements about who Jesus is for us and for the world, telling us that our deepest needs are to be found in Christ, that what is ordinary can become extraordinary, our own lives included. According to both Mark and John, the crowds misunderstood the miracle of the loaves. Mark declares that the disciples did not understand about the bread because their hearts were hardened. As a theological exercise, we might ask ourselves what we have misunderstood as well. In his book, Violence Unveiled, Theologian Gil Bailey writes that Jesus' passion was this, to free those he encountered from the grip of religious mystification and scandalous delusion whose effects were to harden the human heart and turn people into accomplices in cruelty and lovelessness. Because of the Black Lives Matter movement, many institutions, and especially our church, have begun to understand what we never really have or were heretofore not willing to admit. A history of violence, 
a history of cruelty, a history of lovelessness, Bailey's conclusion is that it is therefore important to remember that for a miracle to have genuine religious significance, it must transform the human heart and that it was a transformation of the heart that Jesus brought about in those he deeply touched. Curing a crippled leg is not as miraculous as curing a hardened heart or a despairing soul. In approaching the miracles, Bailey writes, we should look to their spiritual effect primarily, to strive to understand them on that level first, that the great miracle of Jesus' ministry was reconciliation with God and with others. We've got a long way to go to get to the point of reconciliation but this is the starting point for understanding the miracle of the loaves and the fishes and taking John's gospel as a whole, and by that I mean his own hatred of the Jews, we might conclude that the evangelist himself was immune to fully realizing that the point of the feeding was not food. It was the breaking down of religious and social barriers that Jesus had been challenging as spiritually inconsequential in his preaching. Bailey calls the miracle a lesson in hands-on learning as practice for living in the kingdom. In every gospel account, Jesus prays before the miracle occurred. He gave thanks to God in words, and then indeed, indeed, in thought, in word, and then in deed. It was then that the miracle occurred. We should listen carefully. In the end, it may well be that Jesus opened their hearts and that they in turn opened their lunchboxes. I can live with that. We can all live for that. But changing the human heart and liberating ourselves from those who prefer us to be trapped in fear or religious superstition will be an even greater miracle beyond the miracle. That miracle being a new way of being together in communities generated by prayer and inclusion in communities absent from cruelty and violence, from the misuse of power and for the fortunate, from the leverage of our privilege. Perhaps, and with faith in God, we can begin to multiply a miracle like that. I offer this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.